Please. 
everyone hello joy yolanda hi pamela hi beulah karen how you guys welcome to turning a moment into a movement and i am your host jay love and i also represent the justice for gerard movement and for those who um if this is your first time gerard was my son who was wrongfully uh, convicted of a crime that he didn't do he um, was innocent, didn't know anything about this crime, but yet and still he served two years in the Michigan Department of Corrections for that crime, innocent and in prison. And so because of that journey with Gerard and because of all the other people that I met on that journey with Gerard, uh, we created this platform, turning a moment into a movement. And we come here on Fridays at 6 p.m to discuss um, injustice and wrongful convictions. So thank you for joining us. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I wanna say hello to the people who may be watching on YouTube and also for those who might listen later or watch us on other platforms. Hi, thank you for watching and thank you for joining us. Please share um, this um, show, these videos, this podcast with others because um, our goal is to educate and to motivate and inspire people who are also in this movement for justice to, you know, support each other, to have a reference, to have something to look forward to. Because I remember when I first started this journey, I couldn't find a lot. And within the last three years, it's been a so much information um, that's out now. So I want to use this uh, platform as a tool to help others. So um, share. Thank you. So let's bring on the panel. Bring on Revitia. Hi, Revitia. Well, hello, everyone. How you doing? I, I'm so glad to be here tonight, Jay. And um, love our talk, our topic what's holding you back. And uh, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. You know, um, I am a part of Michigan Coalition of Human Rights and on the executive board there. I am also a behavior interventionist, um, also working on a PhD right now. Sometimes it doesn't oh, wow. seem like it. You can be Dr. Tia, Dr. Eventually. <laughs> and um, the one exciting thing is um, I am a part of, um, Oneness and Wisdom G100, women all over the world who um, we lift up women, we lift up the economic uh, fortitude for women. And uh, so many efforts are going around the world to protect women from imprisonment because we know that imprisonment for women has gone up globally. Yeah. Uh, and also definitely my first love, uh, one of my first loves is, uh, of course, first love is always 
God and myself and my children, but transforming <laughs> love community. I love y'all and uh, those who support us while we're out here doing the work. We have to lift up and be the light where we are and make sure that justice definitely is upheld for everyone. So Jay, mm. uh, I love you and I'm so glad that you have continued on despite, in spite of everything. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a journey yeah. and it's purposeful. Thank you. Thank you, Ravitia. I'm so glad that you are here today. <laughs> Thank you so much. Greeting, Trisha. <laughs> How are you today? I am blessed. You know, um, I don't know if most people know, but um, Survivor Speak, we're going to be starting our what do you call it? Support groups back in January. And part of the support group is we talk about rosebud and thorn, right? So Mm -hmm. it keeps you not just complaining about the things that hurt you, right? But also helps to focus you on solutions. And so on a day like today, where my heart is a little, you know, torn about some things, that have been going on. I'm going to rose bud and thorn it. Uh, my rose is um, no matter what is going on, the ability to just be able to center myself back to gratefulness, you know, yeah. um, because there was a time when I could not do that. And uh, it was, it was a broken time in my life. And um, you know, when you are broken it, to that degree, you, you break everything around you. You know, hurting people hurt people, right? Um, so yeah. I'm so grateful um, for the opportunity to just be able to stop and focus myself back to gratefulness. Um, my bud, something that is growing um, me better every day. You know, no matter what, um, even even because I have some bad days, y'all. Um, even on my bad days, you know, just continuing to keep the commitment to myself to grow better every day. Um, my thorn, my thorn, my thorn is, you know, there's there's so much division, it seems like sometimes. And um, seems like no matter how hard, you know, we battle to, to keep together and to stay together and work together, you know, there are always things. And it's always the, what is the, the scripture said? The, the small, is it the small foxes spoiled a vine or something like that, you know? Um, and it's always something that, really doesn't amount to to what the explosion is, you know? And so um, heart is heavy because at a time like right now, we don't need to divide over petty things. We need to stand strong together against those that oppress us. We cannot oppress ourselves from the inside out. That's like cancer and it'll mm. kill the movement. And so mm. I'm happy to be here today because J.U., and this platform allow us to be able to have real conversations because we're real people and we have real emotions, but we can center it and we can focus on the things that are to come. And I'm grateful mm-hmm. to be here with you guys each week. I'm so glad that you're here too, Trisha. So let's see who else is here. Hey, Edward. Hello, how are you guys? We're great and blessed. How are you? I'm blessed, and um, I feel blessed to be here in the company of um, you people, um, including um, Reverend um, um, Tia, 
um, who is pursuing her PhD. Um, and I haven't ever, I don't think I ever to say it, congratulations and, um, you know, much applause um, for that endeavor of yours. Um, that's a big thing. That's a very big thing to take and embark upon. What is it, six years of schooling? Wow. You know, that's a lot of times. You're like, what? You put had some years on. That's a lot of time, you know, uh, and, and, and it's nothing nice. Um, I took and waited at the grad school, um, whether I consider law school or a PhD, and I kind of gave it a thought, and I got a little um, advice from a few people, and I was like, I, I don't think I do that PhD thing right now, you know, so... Uh, if, if, if law school is a cop-out, <laughs> I did the cop. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not in yet. I'm not in yet. I'm trying. That's my that's my endeavor. And um, to uh, um, Trish um, Duckworth, um, you know, hey, she's the person here from Ypsilanti to um, all the way back to Detroit. I'm not going to say from Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti to... Uh, um, uh, um, some other community. She goes all the way back to Detroit. Um, she, she, I always try to um, tell her or, or remind her that she has a big voice. She has a big voice. You know, um, you know. Um, there are women today that are graduates from the School of Social Work and others um, who are taking and moving into um, public squares and so forth. And she has every right as any of them take and do that if that's what she wants to do. Um, she makes things happen as a mover and shaker here in Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti when people are getting out with family and friends. Um, she's somewhere involved in having made that happen. Having made it happen where family and friends can come together and enjoy themselves and have memories. You know, to have memories in the community and say this is what we did last summer and summer before that, etc. She's involved in taking and making that happen, making the funds available, making those who are in public office take and find the resources and make these things happen, <laughs> clean up those parks and make this available and contribute to this and that, as opposed to just taking and using uh, 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 what they call slush funds to take and put your name up in light and run again and again and again and do nothing. So um, to Trish, you know, your leadership, your ability to organize. Don't get mixed up. My my taking indifferent in with you or bigger than arguing with you about the other things. Just bigger than that. Okay. So just to kind of like rub your ego, that ain't what that really is about. It's not about rubbing your ego. It's about being truth. You know, taking and speaking truth to power. But that don't mean that I ain't gonna take it um, hey, you my you you my sus. And we're going to have those conversations when they need to be here. And I expect you to do the same thing. Push me up against the wall and tell me what you need to tell me. And I expect that from Jay Love. I expect that from um, Reverend um, Tia. And I expect that from anybody else that appears on this show with us regular. And I want to give uh, uh, um, salutes out to um, the 900 plus juvenile lifers former juvenile lifers, individuals who were sent to prison when they were children. And um, there was over about, there was about 3,000 of them at the time that the United States made a decision and say that 
retroactively those children, those formal children would be given a second chance and reviewed. Even though we still have prosecutors that are pushing back, we didn't hear legislators that push back and, um, and, and act in resistance, even though the United States Supreme Court say, remember, this is not about whether or not they're innocent or guilty for their crime. That wasn't the issue. The issue is being innocent or guilty of the punishment. The punishment. We don't punish children the way we do adults. We don't punish children the way we do adults. And if we do, the child is going to always be innocent, innocent of that punishment that you took and visited upon that child. And when we witness that in our society, that's what child abuse looks like. It is not permissible by a parent or members in the community, and nor is it permissible by state or federal government. And this is what the United States Supreme Court decision is about, is taking the right sides in the punishment, right sides in the punishment. It didn't take and try as a court and take and do that itself. It gave the honor and the respect, the dignity to the states, to the individual states, to take and find a way to go back. And the states have poorly done that. They have done that in a very poor way. But there are not over 900 formal children that have been released back into this society. And they have the lowest recidivism rate anywhere in the nation, anywhere in the nation, which is what all of the research indicated when the cases was being argued to the court, that this population has the, the, the greatest capability of taking and reforming and rehabilitating because they committed their offense when they were young and very impressionable, when 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 they was easily to be excited, okay? It doesn't, didn't say that they shouldn't be held accountable for their actions, for their behavior, for the harm that they have caused others in this nation. It didn't say that. It just said that the punishment should take and fit the person that committed the act. And more than a dozen of those children now uh, in our nation's law schools going to law school today. I applaud them, but not only them, I applaud the ones that then came back home and got married and beginning to start families, those who are taking the starting organizations and beginning to reach out to other children that reflected who they were. And they're taking and trying to uh, uh, make interdictions, you know, to, inter to, to intervene into the harms that those children may have experienced in their little young lives to make sure that they don't take and cause the same harm that's been caused to them. Because anytime you see a child committing murder, anytime you see a child committing a, a hindrance act, th those acts have been committed against them. They have witnessed and experienced the similarities. So in honor of these 900 plus children having come home and having took and changed the page. If you ain't turned the page, that's on you. But these formal children done come home and they done flip the script. They done flip the script. They demonstrate themselves as being some of the most responsible citizens in our nation. And I am very proud of them. And in fact, I'm proud to be one of them. I'm <laughs> proud to be one of them. So, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Edward. I'm so happy that you're here as well. 
Yeah, I gotta say real quick, Edward, I don't mind the um, challenge because the challenges are how we grow. And as a matter of fact, I didn't like it in the moment, right? <laughs> but you know, um, as you hear from somebody's heart and when you really wanna be better every day, you have to weigh what's being said. Even if you don't like it, you still have to weigh it. You know what I'm saying? Because it holds some type of relevance that you can grow from. So I appreciate the love. I appreciate, I got to tell this story. I'm saying real quick while we giving accolades, Jay, I'm sorry. But Baraka always comes through with what is needed in that moment. You know, continues to send us stuff to uplift our organization. But I never forget, we was out there, it was raining on, um, on Juneteenth. And I mean, it was pouring down raining and my brother came out with a coat and a hat for me. Right. <laughs> and just always being thoughtful. And I just want you to know, I love you. I respect you. Um, and, you know, I aspire to sit where you sit going to law school here in a moment. I mean, as a matter of fact, I will be sitting where you sit, you know, on your journey. But um, just thank you for everything. And I love you much, brother. Attorney Hugo Matt. Much peace and love. Well, first of all, let me get the shameless plug out the way first, and then I okay. get substantive. Okay. You find yourself on Trouble Boulevard, <laughs> police and prosecutor trailing you, and you know you ain't got but about an eighth of an eighth of an eighth of a tank of gas in your car. Drive that hoopity to Mac Street. Park in my private garage, underground. <laughs> hmaclaw.com is your hookup. hmaclaw.com is your hookup. hmaclaw.com is your hookup. And yes, I endorse this message. The true king of Russia, Scotland, and Harlem is here before you today. So now that we've got that plug out the way, I want to let you know, particularly for my young law school aspirants, my sister and my brother, I welcome you. I embrace you. I cannot wait for you. You understand? because we need you desperately, okay? We need you desperately. You know, a war is made up of many battles, okay? A war is classically made up of many battles. And for me, on a serious note, the battle that I face perpetually, day in, day out, is going into a courtroom trying to defend people that have already been written off, you see? And the battle that I face is, being able to control my emotions when I'm looking in the face of a judge and just beneath that veneer of their eyes, that man or woman, is a blatant contempt. Contempt, all right? Contempt. Contempt for me taking their time. Contempt for me filing motions. Contempt for me grilling police. Contempt for me grilling experts on the stand because everybody knows that man or woman, and far too often it's little Kadisha or Kwame, would not be there unless they behinds had broken the law. So when I look at that and I see that contempt and I have to fight that contempt in the face of jurors, it's tiring, you know? And, you know, scripture teaches us never to forsake the assembly. See, I need this platform, J-Love. I need my brothers and sisters on this show because otherwise you can become an ember, you know, and you can burn out by yourself. But if you've got a group of people like-minded, you can keep that fire going. You can build a synergy, you know, to, to keep encouraging people and bringing the reality of systemic racism to the front, bringing the reality of white supremacy to the front. And so 
It's only going to change when people, and I'd like to consider myself one of them, who said to hell with promotion, to hell with big money, to hell with being liked and loved by people who really don't like and love me anyway, anyway, you know, to be able to stand up for what you know is right. Because I just, the older I get, I realize my accountability is to God. Mm -hmm. My accountability is to God. And one day I, like the rest of you, will face him. Okay. So for me, I don't I don't want it said of me that you know I had a chance to speak up for somebody who's getting railroaded and I was afraid of people's gonna talk about me. I was qualified to run for public office. I didn't do it because I was afraid people was gonna talk about me. You know, I had an opportunity to make a difference. I didn't do it because I was afraid people was gonna talk about me. Damn that, damn that. So, you know, so I, I say, you know, I love you and I respect you. And I'm so glad to uh, to be here, Jay Love, and much love and respect for you, Jay Love. You know, you are a leader, and uh, you know how I feel about you. And Reverend Tia Edward and Trisha, you know, you know how I feel about you. Keep, keep, Tia, I'm gonna say this one thing: keep making me love you here. Keep making me love you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's it. Thank you, Attorney Matt. Um, thank you. Everybody, I'm glad we are here. We have so much to talk about, but before we get started, I think we need to address um, the elephant in the room. Um, what happened on yesterday, um, Brittany uh, Gardner's release. Um, there was um, people happy and there was people upset. So um, I personally was attacked. I know Trisha was attacked. Reverend T, a lot of us was attacked about, you know, um, things that we were saying or, you know, we spoke out about. So I just wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about that um, and where we are, how we feel about it. Uh, for me, um, it was really hurtful a little bit to be personally attacked uh, because we're here about um, injustice. That's where we come on every Friday and discuss injustice. That's our platform. That's what we do. Um, and so to everything that we I've been through and that you guys have been through with me, um, we, we're, I don't know about the personal attacks, but I'm going to still come here anywhere on Fridays. You know, um, the reason why we came here is because of Gerard, really. Um, he brought us all together because of a wrongful conviction. And, you know, when I started talking about it um, in the beginning, I was afraid. I was afraid. And then I met Sam Riddle. <laughs> and, and that kind of changed my whole life, my whole you know, life. And it opened me up to um, be able to speak on, you know, about wrongful convictions and injustice and over sentencing and medically frail. You know, Larry Smith, he brought the medically frail. We wasn't talking about that, but all of these injustices. And and on that journey, people even questioned me. Uh, how did I know my son didn't do it? And all kinds of things like that. And so when we talk about, when we come here, we talk about all the ways that wrongful convictions happen. Um, we talk, we discuss how they happen, Miss, um, um, misidentification. Um, some people just take a plea just because they want to go home. Um, 
DNA sometimes exonerates people. So we have all these different misconduct, uh, <laughs> junk science, all these things that we have talked about in the last two years, or almost three years, about wrongful convictions and how they happen. And so um, we're going to continue, even though we attack, <laughs> we get attacked. You know, sometimes that's how movements get all torn apart because of the inner attacks. But we're going to continue to discuss these things, even though they might not sound like what people want them to sound like. And we have to tell the truth. Anybody else want to? Ravitia or Trisha? Yeah, you know, I... Uh... I'm so glad that, that you decided to do this, Jay, because we can't come together when we're divided. Mm -hmm. And uh, yesterday, it, it is just phenomenal how people get sucked into the media and the play of words that happens within the media so easily, so easily. And you, you start seeing posts of other people who were in who are in Russia? You start seeing posts of um, um, some people think that uh, she got off too easy, you know. And all they do is people will just give you a line. They give you a line, and then you want to jump on it. Some people jump on it and decide which side, and and that is the trick. That's the trick right there is to get you to pick a side of injustice. There's no side for injustice. All of it is injustice. And, and so this was what was just plaguing me was the fact that people were saying, well, what about my person? And, and my person has been, been wrongfully convicted for a long time. Yes. Yes. What about your person? Yes but not in comparison to somebody else who's wrongfully convicted. We don't compare wrongfully convicted with wrongfully convicted. The, the, we had, there's a lot of issues that were at hand and I'm gonna let Trisha jump in and others jump in because I want us to bring out all of the facts that happened within this case and how we have to be mindful of the division because as long as we're separated we can't come together to fix not one injustice yeah not one go ahead trisha um you know this sounds my heart that we even gotta take time to do this and like i have so much to say but you know first of all let me say this we have nothing to prove when it comes to our fight and our advocacy work for wrongful convictions. We just do not. I'm not going to sit here and battle back and forth with somebody who clearly doesn't understand the body of work. My thing is this. We are comparing apples to oranges here. We're comparing apples to oranges here. And I keep hearing people say, oh, the fact that she black don't have nothing to do with it. If somebody had six grams and they were supposed to get 15 days for that. 
and they had 0.7 grams and they got nine years. In a country that does not honor and respect African-Americans, what are you saying? She's African-American, she's a woman and she's American. She has three strikes against her, right? Already as she walks in the door of the country, right? And so we got to keep arguing back and forth about things that we know are reality. It, it doesn't make any sense. The division doesn't make any sense. And I want to say this, like, to, for people to be like, oh, well, you know, who who's doing this and who's doing that? And you wasn't here and you didn't go there. And let me tell you something. Everybody has their lane. So I encourage you to find yours and stay there, right? And get some work done. See, what happens is when we spend so much time complaining, and don't get me wrong, I vent, right? That's what Baraka was getting on me about. Stop venting on the internet, right? So I, don't get me wrong, I, I vent, right? But you ain't going to just catch me just venting. You're not going to catch me just venting. Why? Because I'm battling on the front lines. I'm I'm court watching. How many, how many cases you done court watched, right? We had rallies. We dealing with families. We... This is no joke. This is no game. You, you saying things that's personal, and I get it because it's your loved one. But we got loved ones too. But we're not just fighting for our loved one. We are fighting for everybody's loved ones, which includes folks who were doing all of the attacks. We got to stop. And we ain't finna waste a whole bunch of time on this. Because at the end of the day, we're here to talk about what's holding us back and why people struggle standing up and speaking up. But part of that is because when they do speak up, they get attacked about things that don't even matter. And, and, and then we want to talk about God and Allah and all of that. Yes. But you're not supposed to glory in nobody's infirmities. And you're supposed to rejoice when other people are rejoicing. So the fact that you cannot rejoice because someone has been released from a place of just utter, just damnation, check your heart. Check your heart. If you can't rejoice with somebody else when they are rejoicing, check your heart. Because even though my loved one and, and some of my loved ones and with people that we've been fighting for, they still locked away too. Jay's, Jay never got justice for her son. What do you mean? But we still on the front line fighting. We're not going to fight against you. We're not. We're not going to fight against you. And we're asking you to do the same. We don't need that in the movement right now. What we need to do is come together. We can't oppress ourselves from the inside out. That's like cancer. It'll eat us from the inside out. We won't get anywhere. We got to stand in love. We got to be able to tell the truth. But we got to be able to work together. And, and that's all I'm going to say. Um, Tony Mack or Baraka, do you have anything to say? Your mic's yeah. not on, Baraka. <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead. I will go say, ahead, man. I will say this. When we look at the attempted division that they try to engender, even with black people, by the way, you know, because I've spoken to black people talk about, well, you know, don't do the crimes. You can't do the time. And, you know, she over there and, uh, you know, ain't, 
Ain't you never seen the movie uh, Midnight Express? Y'all, y'all remember that movie Midnight Express? M remember that? M remember that movie? Okay, you know what I'm saying. So, and 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 my response to them was, you know, it's so unfortunate. And I'm sorry, I spoke a lot of my conversation on black folks. I do, I do, I do, because you know I'm not saying other people don't have maladies and things to overcome. But really, really, they got a million other people to address other people and their maladies. You know, I look at my job and my journey here to talk about things that affect me and people who look like me, because if it's a race war, me and everybody else on this panel, we're targets. We are automatic targets. So I have a vested interest in addressing all of our well-beings, all of our well-beings. So what what I was telling some some black folks, you know, who talk about the, the situation with her, I said, you know, don't be so quick to put down another black person because other people are putting them down. It doesn't make you American to put this woman down. It doesn't make you some patriot. You know, one black guy was trying to argue with me, try to argue me down. Yeah, but they left that 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 patriot over there. You know, how come Biden trying to get uh, this uh, this drug uh, NBA WNBA superstar out and left that patriot over there. I said, you know what? I said, you know, you are quintessentially ignorant. That's what I told you. You are quintessentially ignorant. We try to save people as we can, okay? Everything does not happen all at once. So I guess my statement to him was, or my statement to him was, so you'd rather us leave her over there because we couldn't get both of them at once you're saying you're more satisfied with leaving two Americans over there instead of just one, you know? So, uh, you know, don't be sad when somebody receives a modicum of justice, brothers and sisters, especially when that somebody looks like us. There's plenty enough people to put this woman down. Uh, oh, you know, she a lesbian, she this and that and whatever, you know, you know, God don't condone that punch. There are plenty of people who do that. Don't you add to it. You know, they don't need your help to put us down. They're doing fine all by themselves. Barack Edward. First, I would take and uh, congratulate uh, the family of uh, this person, uh, her uh, family. You know, I congratulate them, you know, mm -hmm. having your prayers heard and answered. You have your loved one back home. And there are many here in this nation that uh, pray uh, along with you. Uh, it's always a prayer anytime a, a, a fellow citizen is taken and healed in another country. Um, even where justly uh, uh, so, uh, we we have the sensitivity. That's a national, you know, uh, sense of patriotism. You want your own fellow uh, citizens home, and um, if they done something wrong, we kind of had this tribal thing. Then we would, you know. But when you're in another land, you are held accountable in that land. But uh, there are circumstances here um, that I hear that you know were minute, and that you know it literally turned out to be a case of a political prisoner. But when we see these things abroad, remember, we have cases where our own government male treat its citizens. And this is the case with African Americans, it's the case with Native Americans. You know, uh, Native Americans live every day um, 
people's literally going on to their plantation and committing crimes. And because the crime was committed in one place versus another place, it interferes with the investigation. You know, um, you, one person doesn't have the jurisdiction over the other place. And so they notice and they take advantage of it. You have people that literally take advantage of the sovereignty or the supposed to be sovereignty of Native Americans and violate them every day. They're women and children every day in this nation. This occurs right here. And then we have African Americans, you know, that are subjected to mostly predominantly white police or law enforcement. And then we even have our own black skin who assimilate to the same behavior and treat people in their own community the same way because the culture is, you know, it's, it's a cancerous culture. And so anytime we see nations doing this, you, you, we get an example of some of the abuses that they do anyway. These are some of the abuses that they're doing. They're doing it to their own citizens or they're doing it to others. It, it's just coming to the surface. But it's a good thing anytime an American is, um, is brought back home where we believe that that person um, were maltreated. And so um, it's, it's a foreign thing to us as African-Americans when our own government turns on us, when our own government um, is supposed to take and, and protect us, treat us like animals, you know, and throw us in cages. And um, when our own uh, uh, local government taking ardor against closing down prisons simply for the sake of employment, not crime, but employment. So if they can't have their way, they'll make up a crime to justify your being there. This was the reality of the post uh, um, uh, a proclamation in this country, the 13th Amendment, where they wasn't content with us leaving plantations uh, and not getting that free labor, and so they came up with all of these um, these you know these work camps and began to take and. This is the nation's history of um, policing and imprisonment. You know, these are abusive uh, uh, realities of government. There is no one government that has a monopoly over it. Okay, we don't want to get caught up on this minute case. Is minute in comparison to what's going on every day in this nation. Every day, what goes on in other nations, whether you're talking about in Iran or whether you're talking about in, uh, um, in, in, in North Korea, or you're talking about Russia, this is a reality of, of the abuse that goes on in many of the nations. So let's not get caught up on just the, the microscopic, you know, but keep our eye on the bigger prize. We value freedom, and we want the freedom of everyone without any contradiction. Sometimes I say and I pray that I hope nobody took that to mean that I meant something else. Like I, I made mention about we're doing this last year where we were protesting and people were identifying statues of formal generals um, uh, um, of, of, of the Civil War that's still standing as heroes in our nation courtyards and things like that. And rightfully, they demanded that they be taken down. And some of them went to physically take it down. 
and I made reference to images of supposedly image of God, and I made reference to images with blonde hair and blue eyes. That don't mean that I got an issue with people with blonde hair and blue eyes. I don't have a problem with blonde hair and blue eyed folks, but I do have a problem with someone putting that image as the proposed image of God. That's the difference. So don't get it wrong. You know, I have an issue with, you know, um, a large number of brothers and sisters taking and going outside of their sexuality, but that don't mean I don't respect their humanity. It doesn't mean that I won't stand up and fight for their right to take and be respected as a human being. Okay, their choice of how they orientate and express themselves is their personal business. That's something they have to go before God with, not me. Okay, so I'm not going to take and somehow violate their human rights, you know, because I differ with their personal choices. Okay, I may have a voice about that personal choice that I take the liberty and speak on, but that don't mean I don't respect that person. It don't mean that I don't love that person. Okay, mm -hmm. so don't include me in those that will be bashing them because I take and say, so we have to be careful because sometimes, like I think Trisha, somebody was saying that people would take and they would grab onto that and they would, you know, they look for a line, they look for a, a link. And so, you know, that ain't what we mean. We do, we are thankful American citizens back home on this soil. If they had brought two home, that didn't mean that there's other Americans that are that that there are other Americans that still haven't come home. Two isn't the number. We still counting the missing out of Vietnam. Come on, please. We are still hmm. taking and bringing home remains from Vietnam. Don't take and fool yourself that everything is okay. The largest number of recidivism in this nation's county jail are American veterans. They go in and out of the county jails because our federal government cuts off their medical benefits the moment they walk into a county jail. And when they walk in there, they walk in there as a result of their post-traumatic um, stress from battle fatigue. That's what brings them into our nation county jails. And the moment they get in there, our federal government has the nerves to take and stop their medical care. And so when they get out, it takes weeks and months. But yeah. your, your mental hygiene don't wait weeks and months for, for that to be turned back on. So those men and women go in and out of our county jails. We take and say, thank you for your service. I'd be damned if you ain't hypocritical. But thank you. Thank you. So I just wanted to put this before we go any further. An injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single gar garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. That's from Dr. King. So when we saying this, <laughs> what affects one affects us all. We all, you know. So that's about all of it is about us, no matter what. So 
Um, I'm glad we got that over with. Now we can move forward with the conversation. <laughs> so what brought this conversation up, you guys, was because um, um, a person reached out to me and she basically was saying that um, a person that um, was uh, friends with me on social media, um, she knew through, you know, uh, long periods of time you know, they grew up, they were family at one time and she never knew what happened to him. And then she found out that he had been in prison and she said that, you know, no one ever told her, you know, and they grew up together as, you know, younger kids. So she said to me, um, she let, she sent me a message and said, maybe we need to discuss how we don't speak up, how we don't talk, um, amongst each other, you know, when, in regards to our loved ones, when they're incarcerated. And so I brought, I think I was having a conversation with Baraka about it. And so I thought it was a great idea that we discuss why, you know, we don't talk up. Um, I know in many communities, uh, in our community, black community, especially, there's a stigma, um, when someone is incarcerated, uh, I don't know where it comes from, but there's a stigma, there's a shame connected with it. And so I know that's one reason why people have uh, a comfortability with having a conversation. But 10 years later, you know, um, I mean, it's like, I guess it was been 20 years. She hasn't seen this person and she finds out that they have been in prison all this time. So I'm going to let you guys discuss, you know, why is it that we don't speak up? Who's going to take the mic? <laughs> I must say that um, one, of, one of the things I know to be true is that people become complacent. And they're used to not speaking up. Mm. I, was, I was talking with... Uh, my daughter, and I'm, I'm just going to give this scenario that not too long ago, um, my daughter had an issue with her car, ended up going to pick her up. And we sat here on the floor and she started playing cards with her daughter and my, you know, my granddaughter and a little girl who lives across from us. And her brother came over and the mother came over. And in that moment, I sat there and I said, you know what, this is living. This is life. Like, I wasn't upset about going to get her. And for that moment, was nothing but love going on in this place. And at the place where I live, people find it comfortable enough to come to eat, to talk, to, to feel peace. And we, we have conversation. What I do notice with many people is we don't have that conversation. Children aren't reared to speak up. My, my daughter speaks up all the time. And sometimes I'm looking at her like, oh Lord, I don't know if I want her to keep speaking up like this, but she speaks up. She knows who she is. Mm -hmm. My sons always spoke up for what was right because they were reared to do so. They were taught to do so. They saw examples. They knew their history. And they had connection. Mm. 
They had connection to grandparents and great-grandparents. They had connection to their own history. They had connection to know why we did things a certain way and why we don't do things other ways because I'm preserving what is right within you. And I want your purpose to unfold. And I don't want you to be like everybody else. Because everybody else is going to be complacent and they're going to be okay with things going on as they are because they don't even know when they're not. Mm -hmm. So used to just getting on the bandwagon of the buzzwords that people don't even understand when biasness, discriminatory acts are against the whole, a whole people or people of an economic status. They don't even understand. They don't even know because they're so busy catching the new thought for the day. Mm. Wearing the new clothing for the day, carrying the new purse, the new designer. Well, you know, I got to have this. Because there's no substance within the people. That we've allowed society. We've allowed the media. We have allowed these external circumstances to lead our families. And it is high time for us to take our families back and garrison them, guard them, guard our children, guard our hearts. Because out of it flows the issues of life. Whatever your issue is, it's coming from your heart. It's coming from you. We're here as a people because we haven't loved one another enough. We're here as a people because we we didn't honor our children. We haven't honored our adults. We haven't honored our grandparents. We haven't honored our ancestors. So if my people, which are called by my name, and called by my name is not the name that you say aloud. It is the nature. If you look up the word name in its reality, it is the nature. If you're called by the nature of God and you humble yourself, pray and seek the face. Seek the face of God in you and seek the truth. And let me tell you something. When the truth comes out, and you understand that you believe the lie for a certain time, let go of the lie. Don't just keep holding on to the truth because you want to be right. That's your ego. Free yourself. The truth makes you free. It creates you to be free. Know truth. Know yourself. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Anybody else? Anyone? Uh, go ahead, Edward. Yeah, I would take and uh, share that, uh, you know, this goes back to slavery as well. It goes back to um, a lot of experiences in Southern that um, African Americans lived in. When something happened, um, when, when white folks visited evil upon Black people, their response was to be quiet. You know, they were taught, scared. 
they was taught to take. And if we've done something wrong to you, you don't tell nobody. You don't have a right to tell anybody. You didn't even have a right to take and pray about it. Okay? Because they considered themselves to be your God. You know, they consider um, you to be their property and that you didn't have the prerogative to take and share that with anybody. And um, whether it was your being um, raped or lynched or, or whipped or whatever it was. And our family took and kept secrets. The elders uh, were taken sometimes huddle among themselves and have conversations about the traumatic experience that they had. Uh, in, in, in those southern states, and they uh, um, very intentionally um, kept it from, you know, the children that didn't grow up and didn't experience that. And then when they even introduced them to it, they made a selective choice or decision of which of the children to take to teach or to inform about this experience. And my family, my on my father's side, his parents, and his family, uh, particularly his, uh, my, my, my grandmother and grandfather um, on my father's side, they pointedly would take and not share certain things with me. And they would tell me why. They said I was too much like my mama, you know, which was very outspoken, you know, and, and, and assertive. They felt that, hey, you know, he like his mama. He, he, he want to fight. You don't tell him, you know, because he looked at it and he want to be com competitive. And so, Many times I didn't learn things um, in, until I insisted I would take and become more and more inquisitive. And even then, sometimes I didn't learn things, and but I would take and pick up bits and pieces of things. Like I, I wasn't one of the um, grandchildren that was immediately um, welcome to be put um, in, the, in, in the family's um, caravan and taken down um, soft when the family visit. And I was told, no, you, 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 you. You're liable to say something. You get your whole family. In. And so that was the excuse why I couldn't go. And I'm like, hey, everybody going down to up, down soft to family reunion. I want to go down soft and meet grandma and grandpa, you know, because I still had great grandparents that was living down there. I eventually got to go, but I had been denied that opportunity numerous of times because of them, my similarity with my mother, that I'm too outspoken. You know that I'm too aggressive. I would I would assert myself, and they was like, "You can't do that. You can't do that down there." And it, my grandparents was my grandparents were frightened. Um, they didn't show that type of fear in the environment here in the northern states, but even just talking about their home state where they came from, you know, um, like many African American families that came here to Detroit. My family, like many, came here looking for jobs. They came um, to escape the, the environment in southern states, and they went to places like Chicago, uh, um, Indiana, and Ohio um, before they came here to Michigan. And many of them left their children back down south while they took and found jobs, and then later they sent for their families down here. You know, one of my grandfathers, um, fathers worked at Ford Motor Company for almost just under 50 years. The other one worked at, at, at um, General Motors for just under 50 years. And even after my grandfather, the one that worked at, at Ford Motor Company for almost uh, um, 50 damn years, um, the plaque is on my brother's wall and his name is spelled wrong. How do you spell somebody's name wrong 
that worked it for you for almost 50 years, who you wrote a check for every damn week. And my grandfather went to work religiously, religiously. He worked it seven days a week. That was typically his work schedule. And until and unless he had a few days off here and there. And most of the time, he didn't take those days off. You know, most of the time, he didn't take those days off. But they were very about things that happened um, to them. My, 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 my great-grandfather died in a, in a house fire. And their suspicion is, is that white folks was responsible for that fire. My great-grandfather was a minister. And him and his wife, his second wife, because my great-grandmother died during um, childbirth. She had 13 children. And my grandmother and um, her twin sister is part of that. But they came home from church one night and they're, they're, they're dwelling and they lived in a place that resembled that which you see down in, in South Africa, the Latin homes. Um, they lived in something like that. And, um, so you can imagine how quick a fire can go through something like that. But the family was very hush-hush. You know, we like, was it a mistake? And, and so even to this day, I'm not sure that the family really, you know, they took and told us it was a mistake, but they were whispering that the white folks down there wanted his land and that, you know, that they killed him um, or to intimidate the family because my family has a big, big, big um, farmland down there. They had a big, large farmland, even though my great grandfather lived in a little tin shack because that's what he was content with. That's what he knew was slave, you know. I had an auntie that lived it right across the road from him in a little wood one like that. But I had an uncle that lived up on the hill in a nice big old um, home. Uh, um, that was his parents. That's his siblings. But that's what his uh, parents were, were accommodated to. That's what, you know, like my grandmother, you know, she would take and take her grandboys out to the to, to, to um, clothing store and spend big money on us and didn't want to go to the rubber cell and get hers. I'm like, hey, hey, what are you doing? She said, this is what I'm accustomed to. I worked the seven days a week out in the plantation, you know, and I wore overalls. I didn't do that. I wore a dress just to go to church and come back and take it off and go back out to the plantation. They were very secretive about things. And this is what we experienced. Family member go to jail. Most often it was, it was related to white abuse in the black community. Mm -hmm. And so to take and speak about that, was to speak about what they were doing, what white folks was doing to you. So it became a taboo. And we still take and observe it today. We are afraid to take and mention. And then because there are so many barriers around the person that comes back out, you want to keep that secret because sizing it only take and subject the person to more persecution, even upon their release. Yeah. They get the, the same pay as anybody else, even though the sheriff here in Washington County brags that he uh, uh, um, employed more people uh, um, with, with, with lived experiences than anybody else in the county. He doesn't tell you he don't pay them as much as um, they should be paid. These are people with lived experience that should be considered experts in what they do, and they should have a greater pay for what they do. But he don't tell you that part, but that's the reality. When a person has been stigmatized as being 
uh, um, someone that's been arrested, then that was a justification. It goes back to slavery. We tag you. You've been hit by the 13th Amendment. Your worth is not that of a free person. We can now take and subject you to lower pay, lower standards, etc. You heard the sister's book. <laughs> you heard the book. I don't have to announce it again. You all know the name of the book. You know, um, thank you. Attorney Matt. I'll try to make this brief. <laughs> lie, lie. <laughs> we have uh, we have lost our sense of community. Okay, you know I've said it before on this broadcast and many other places too. Black people are the most obliging Americans in the history of this country. We have tried so hard, given so much, lost so much of our own identity in order to quote unquote be American, okay? And what I mean is, is this, this nation was founded on what is supposed to be the Protestant work ethic, okay? Rugged individualism. You hear all the time people of means, including black people, I might add, talk about I'm a self-made man or woman. I'm a self-made millionaire. I got what I got because I'm smarter than you. I got what I got because I work harder than you. I got what I got because I'm more moral than you. I got what I got because I'm simply a better person than you. So the fact that I have a million dollars and the fact that you want welfare means one thing. You are there because you're supposed to be there, okay? You are in a subclass because that is where you belong and that's all you are. So in our effort to become Americans, we have bought into that. We actually think because we can move out of Detroit to Bloomfield Hills that we've progressed, you see? We, we've, we, we've progressed. The Mecca for black people used to be Southfield. Now they got so many black people in Southfield, the white folks not sure where to move. And the blacks won't move out of Southfield too much damn like Detroit. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And so what I'm saying to you, what I'm saying to you is, is that the reason we don't talk is because we've been programmed to think that we are rugged individualists. We cry in secret. We don't show our emotions, okay? We don't show the need for help. We've been programmed to believe it is better for us to suffer and die in silence than to show anybody what we perceive as weakness, okay? That's the mojo that's been run on black folks. It's the same mojo that make black people, and this really pisses me off, argue me down about affirmative action, okay? argue me down about affirmative action. And it really pisses me off to see somebody talk about self-hatred and with part of reason of us being silent, self-hatred, to see somebody like Clarence Thomas, who speaks about, well, you know, we, we, we don't need to be on, on this affirmative action piece now. You know, we don't need to be all on these uh, gay rights and all that kind of things. 
when Clarence Thomas is the primary beneficiary of affirmative action himself. Mm. Clarence Thomas took the place of a justice by the name of Thurgood Marshall. Now, you would have to be the biggest fool in all creation to think that Clarence Thomas's race had nothing to do with the fact of him being selected to replace the one black justice, male justice, on the United States Supreme Court. That is exactly why he was chosen. Exactly why. We would be beyond fools to think that Donald Trump just coincidentally picked Herschel Walker to support in a race against another black man. That is exactly why he was chosen. So what I'm saying is, is that the reason we remain silent is because we have become too much of an American when other people don't take the Americanism that, that deeply. They have the Italian community, they got the Jewish community, they got the Polish community, and they damn sure got the Arab community. Damn sure got the Arab community, okay? If you notice, those folks are clannish. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. You see what I'm saying? So they will gather together and buy up every black gas station in the city of Detroit, you understand, and share amongst themselves. We have been duped enough to think that we can survive away from one another, okay? You know? Don't, don't you call Miss Mabel and tell her about Johnny getting in trouble. You know, you know, the people, the church folk are going to be talking about you. You know, don't be don't be doing that. And and remember the stigma on girls getting pregnant. Remember that at, 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 as, as recent as 30 years ago, a girl getting pregnant. She had to go live with Aunt, Aunt, uh, Aunt Sarah, whatever it is, down south till she had that baby because we were ashamed and afraid to celebrate that life coming into our community. Remember that? It's the same thing now. It's the same mojo. So it's going to continue until people like us keep talking about the need to break away from I'm my own person. No, you're not. No, you're not. All you being an old person is going to do is make you an easy target to be picked off. That's all you're going to do, and that's all you've done. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Trisha. <laughs> what can I say that has not already been said but Baraka took the words right out of my mouth this goes back to slavery a, a lot that we do goes back to slavery right and it shows you know as I'm wrestling with um, what to do postgraduate school you know whether I'm going to go get my doctorate in social work or, or go get the law degree the doctorate in social work was to focus on post-traumatic slavery disorder it's a thing. It's, a it's thing. real. You know, as stated, you couldn't talk back then. I wish you would say something, get hung up by a tree, right? Get hung up by your leg, right? And so this mentality is passed down. You better not say nothing. I don't care what it is. You better not say nothing. If you look at it, a lot of the things that was learned within our community, like as we become Americanized or as we assimilate, as my brother said, like, incest, molestation, those type of things that would happen that we learned in our community and began to take on. Now you got all this molestation, rape going on within families. People don't even talk about it. People don't even say anything about it at all. So we have been conditioned to close our mouths and to accept, to lay down and to accept what happens to us. And, and people say all the time, well, you know, it ain't going to change no way. So we just got to learn how to navigate around it. There's no way to navigate around it. Because as you can see, we still right here right now, right? 
dealing with the same old stuff, but in a different way, right? Because we're in the 21st century, but we still dealing with racism. We still dealing with people that are not able to, or feel like they're not able to speak up. And partly why? Because this shit is hard. Let's just put it out there. And when you start to talk and you start to raise your mouth, right? You get targets, you get all kind of stuff, right? And a lot of people cannot take all of that stuff. Right. But as my mm -hmm. brother said, if you go and you connect yourself with like minded beings, you're not standing alone. So you can feel comfortable to stand up and speak out, you know. But I'll tell you what, if we don't begin to raise our voices across the board on what's happening to us, because don't sleep when it comes to racism, it's everywhere education, employment, criminal justice system, housing. I mean, it's. It, Healthcare, it's all across the board. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm at the doctor the other day, um, orthopedic surgeon, who last time I went was like, Oh, you too fat, or you know, you too big and too young for a knee replacement. But then this time he tells me, Oh, you don't you don't need a knee replacement because it only lasts 10 years. Why you didn't say that the last time? So I chastised him and just to say, I'm gonna give you this lesson, and he looking at me like oh. How dare you? And he's like, well, we'll just move to the end. No, we're not going to move nowhere until you hear from me. You need to learn some bedside manner. You need to learn how to treat your patients. And I mean, I just began to tell him, and I wasn't mean. I wasn't rude. And he said, well, it's received. And he got me out of there so quick. But why? Because they're not used to us speaking up. They're not used to us standing together. And, and we can't even say that it's because of anybody else other than ourselves. We've got to snap out of this assimilation, assimilated mindset, right? And start to honor who we are as a people because we are strong. We are mighty. We are powerful. We don't have to lay down and take nothing. We don't have to navigate around a system that doesn't respect us. No, we got to stand and rise up against it and do it together. That's the key word. We got to do it together. That's right. Somebody said reparations. That's it. In the story, in the conversation, run our reparations. And don't just think you could just cut a check and that's it. It's so much more that it, it the repair is so much. But if everybody not talking about, thank you for Karen. Thank you, Karen, for saying that. That's why we ain't got reparations because we won't all stand up and speak up against it and speak up for it. But we know doggone well that we deserve it. But why? Because somebody has tricked us to say, well, you know, don't say that. Don't do that. You know, and I'm sorry. I'm just going to put it out there. Mess have been good to us. Don't stir up no trouble now. You know, that's what it equates to. And people don't even realize it, that that's what you're looking like out here. You're looking like a slave. And it's okay because we are. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm Harriet. You know, I'm Harriet. I, I just want to take some people with me. But some people don't want to go because it's too hard. And that's okay. If you don't want to go because it's too hard, don't stand in my way. Now, I ain't going to do what Harriet did. You see this? Oh, you probably don't see this picture right here on my wall where she got her gun. I ain't going to do that. I'm just saying, don't stand in our way. Stand down, move to the side because we're raising up. God is raising up a people that are not scared and that are standing in truth and love. And if you're not for that, that's okay. Just step to the side and we got you. Right. Go ahead, Reverend Tia. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is so good. It's so rich. You know, I want to, I want us to feel empowered. And um, 
And what I mean is I've had to erase, eliminate the victimhood mentality. And that's because I had to get to the root of how did this begin? Because what I know is that people can only treat us how we treat ourselves or how we've mm. been treating ourselves. And even in that, my brothers, my brethren, people can only come in and rape a woman and have a practice of rape and have a practice of mistreatment if women were already being mistreated. It's the mm. truth anyhow. And in the history of colonization, they always went after the woman first because she was the head of the household, they said. She managed the village. And so we have to take responsibility. I know that, yes, it was our ancestors and, and, and yes, it still goes on today, but we need to stand strong in who we are and acknowledge where we allowed people to come in because we did not treat that which was good well. We didn't cultivate the land and call our own land good. There's no way a people should have been able to get off a boat, come to a land and you survive in an area that you did not know. Someone had to lead them through there. And this is what we have to know. At the root of all of this is ungratefulness, is wanting to want what somebody else has, thinking that we don't have everything that we need, thinking that we did not have the richest place in the world, thinking that we needed more or somebody else out did us. Back to comparison again. It's the same thing. It has filtrated history. When some slaves were actually sold for a piece of glass, because we thought we didn't have something that somebody else had. And so they pit one against the other. Check out any time in history where there is war. There was always the narrative of division. And it was one against another. And the people who suffered the most weren't the people who had the most economically. It, were, it was the people who fought on the idea that they were fighting for their country. And many of them came back from fighting and were mistreated and treated like dogs. And so what we need to know is that true leadership will Listen to the pulse of the people. What are you saying though? <laughs> what is your pulse reading? What's holding you back? Why aren't you speaking up? 
Why are people going through life with blinders on, only caring about, do you understand that the only time a message is preached about the fact that you have to separate from your mother, you're going to separate from your father, and you're going to follow the Lord is to us. Everyone's preaching it, and the division is occurring at the family level. I said it. I said it. Take your family back. You can't have mine. You can't have not now son, not my daughter, and not my grandbaby. No, we in this together. And you know what? All them little Johns out there, y'all know. Y'all already know. And the Wallaces, some of them. As you know, that was a division too. It's a whole nother story. But take it back. It's time to take it back, y'all. Be empowered. We're not victims. We can create a standard, and it's our time. Uh, if 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 I take if I may, uh, we we should at least I think uh, acknowledge those who didn't allow themselves to be shamed because they were taken uh, wrongfully to. America's uh, criminal justice uh, 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 system, or um, and that would be Muhammad Ali. That would be Angela Davis. That would be Jackson. That would be Huey Q. Newton. All of these people were subjected to America's uh, injustice criminal system, and they didn't allow that to take and muffle their voice. Yes. Muhammad Ali was only one, only one of many followers of Elijah Muhammad that he had been subjected wrongfully to the criminal justice system here in America. The, um, the formal director of the FBI, when he found out that that obscure organization had vocally opposed the draft he took and chose to make an example out of that organization in the black community. And they began to take and put their paddy wagons at the back door of the Nation of Islam services. So when the male followers of Elijah Muhammad would go through the front door, the federal government was working, was, was sitting at the back door waiting on them. And they would put them in paddy wagons and take them to prison. Many of Elijah Muhammad followers who were who were some of these people that I mentioned that come from southern states like Alabama and Mississippi and places like that in Georgia? They came here to work. They came here to run away from some of the oppressive things that was going on down south. And they found themselves being um, asked to sign up for a draft. But many of them, just like Elijah Muhammad, was even beyond the age of actually serving in the armed services but it was still a legal requirement for them to sign up and technically that's what they were put in prison for even though there was a concept that they were refusing to take and participate in the actual war they was refusing even to take and put their damn name on a registry to even be considered for combat okay this is 
system in America's federal prisons. And this is very important. This was a very large group of African-American men that were taken and they were they were taken and chose to be given a certain kind of treatment because, because of their outspokenness. And they became a force in America's prisons of rehabilitation because they had put innocent men in America's prisons and those men who were, who were before they went to prison were already taken and trying to live clean lives. When they put them in prison, they were different from a regular prison culture. They never succumbed to the prison culture and they became a force of reform inside a prison. Malcolm was a, re, was a, re, a reflection of that when he came home. He didn't hide the reality that he was in prison. He didn't hide the reality that he became educated while he was in prison. And we've seen this time and time again, that opened the door for other African-Americans to be bold about where they were and what they'd done with that time. And they came out here and they made a difference. And I say that to the other brothers and sisters who are in prison. You innocent, demonstrate the way that formal nation of Islam demonstrated in America's prison and become a force of change, a force of good while you're there in that prison and continue it as you come back out here into this society, okay? Mm -hmm. Continue it. Muhammad Ali was discriminated against. He couldn't take and fight nowhere in this country. People wouldn't allow him to fight while he was under that conviction. But he stood his ground. And right now today, this is one of the reasons he's considered to be a hero. You know, we consider him to be a hero for multiple reasons. But the fact that he stood up, he stood up, he lost his championship. He lost the, the, the prime of his life when a boxer is supposed to be in the ring and making a difference. He lost that opportunity. We look at him as like, oh, he had all these fights and he made all this money. The time that he really should have been fighting, that he really should have been making money was the time that they had took and convicted and sentenced this man. And the only reason he didn't spend time in prison like the average follower Elijah Muhammad is because he had money. It's because he had money. He hadn't spent all his money. And then even those who he was fighting in the ring like Joe Frazier, they took and went in their pocket and made sure that he didn't go to jail, that he stayed out on appeal bond. But the average follower, Elijah Muhammad, didn't have the means of staying out on appeal bond. They went to prison. They went to prison. Okay? So we do have a group of African-Americans that wasn't a, 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 a quiet about their oppression. Joanne Little wasn't quiet about why she killed that, that guard in that prison cell, in that jail cell. She killed his ass because he was trying to rape her in that jail cell. She didn't have nothing to be quiet about. She didn't have nothing to be ashamed about. And we say that to the other sisters. Continue to be that Joanne Little. Continue to be that Joanne Little. Continue to be that Angela Davis. Damn thing to be ashamed about. Nothing to be ashamed about. So as we do speak about those who may have been quiet, there are those that wasn't quiet at all. You know, when you look at that young brother, George Jackson, he was sent to prison when he was a child and he became a man while he was in prison. If you look at his writings and so forth, you see what we lost. He is an example of what these juvenile lifers are today. 
They looked at him and, 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 and labeled him as a threat, like a number one enemy, public enemy to America. He has to be killed and, and, and slaughtered in the prison before they can let him back out. That was the idea that these are animals, that these are animals, and this is the, and this is what they are deserving. This is what they wanted to become of those 3,000 children that they had put in America's prison. They wanted them to die in America's prison just like George Jackson. They are just as worthy as George Jackson of returning back into society and being a productive member of this society. And so we do have some examples of people that didn't lay down and was quiet about their formal, uh, uh, you know, stay in prison. Elijah Muhammad served time with two of his sons right here in Michigan in Milan prison. <laughs> Wallace Dean Muhammad was one of them who became the leader of the organization after his father died. So the two formal leaders of the Nation of Islam both spent time in prison. Okay. And they spent time in prison together and he was never ashamed by that and he took and wine and dined i don't mean wine but he took and uh, and touched shoulders with world leaders after he come home nothing is a mandela having spent time in prison you can't show me a better state man in the world nowhere in the world we not ashamed by mandela and those of us here in north america we need to take and start having the same pride of them not to take and that we uphold people's going into prison the way this uh, um hip-hop thing is doing where they're taking encouraging young kids to go to prison and come out and treat it like a, a badge of honor that's not a badge of honor it's not a badge of honor to take and reduce yourself to that of a slave to where you come back out here and you can't get a damn decent job we all ain't running around with this damn rap you know, we all ain't running around with that type of rap. And if if, if I were to rap, you would be hearing Gil Scott. Okay. If mm -hmm. I were to rap, you would be hearing Gil Scott. And you may not even like what I might say. But thank you very much. Thank you. I like that you said that that we need to um look at those who have spoken up when you feel uncomfortable. Look at those who have who wasn't uncomfortable. Let those people be your, you know, inspiration. So I really like, thank you, Baraka, for that. <laughs> that was powerful because there's so much going on um, that fear is really false evidence appearing real, you know, and that fear that's holding us back. It's not probably what even's going on. And what can they do? What You know what I'm saying? Um, when we start, we did that rally in uh, Trisha and uh, Tia and Redford. And I remember, you know, out of the blue, um, I didn't give anybody my phone number, but Redford police started calling me. And, you know, every time I would say something about different things, all of a sudden I get a phone call out of the blue. I don't know how they got my number, but I'm like, we're not backing down. <laughs> We, we came out here because we want to educate people about wrongful convictions. And sometimes you have to come outside of your element to do that. So, and you can't be afraid because guess what? People only know what you tell them. And if you haven't told them anything, how would they know anything different? So, um, I like what you said and thank you, um, um, Baraka. 
So now, because uh, the time has flew away <laughs> so fast, um, let's, you know, Rev uh, I mean, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you for the end, Reverend Tia. Attorney Matt, is there anything you want to leave us with today? Yeah, the, the thing of it is, is that always look to the blessings and accomplishments that we are standing on. Okay. I mean, I heard about Dr. King, that Montgomery bus boycott 360 some odd days. They didn't have cell phone, you know, they didn't have all the mass communication. They didn't have all of that, but they had each other and they had heart, heart, heart that, you know, and I would encourage all of you, if you haven't done it already to really review that Montgomery bus boycott, because that was really about a group of sheep who stood up to a pack of wolves and they beat them. They beat them because they would not scatter. That's what I'm saying. We have lost our sense of community. Okay. You know, and so I'm saying to you, to all of you, don't lose your sense of community. You know, we are a community right now, you know, getting together and talking and encouraging each other. Don't lose your sense of community. God never intended for you to fight this battle by yourself. He never did that. You know, he wants us to work together. That's what that, 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 that's why he created us. If it was only supposed to be about one man or one, one woman, there'd only be one man or one woman on the face of the earth. We wouldn't need nobody else. So, you know, keep your pride in who and what you are, black people, you know, and don't let the need to assimilate with somebody else make you lose your own identity. I'm preaching to myself because in my profession, the profession, the future for Edward and Trache, you will understand exactly what I mean when you get to that point. You see, the, the need to conform, the need to come on in, the need to be with the good boys and good girls club. You know, um, I've been fighting it all these years, you know, and when y'all join the profession, y'all keep fighting, you know, keep fighting it. And, and you know, Reverend Tia, you know, and, and Alexandra, you know, and our leader, Jay Love, y'all are great examples for me. So, hey, you know, we love you and I'm proud to be here. And uh, as long as the good Lord got me this side of heaven, you know, uh, like you said, uh, uh, Jay Love, Attorney Mac, you ain't going nowhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Trisha, <laughs> what'd you like to leave us with? We will not bow down to <laughs> racism. We will not bow down to. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just felt like saying it a little bit. But I just want to encourage us all. I know this fight is hard. I know it gets rough, but we have to continue to stand and. Baraka said it best. It's people standing. It's people standing. As a matter of fact, Jay, put it back on the uh, on the big on on the on all five of us, right? Because it's people standing. We do it here each and every week, and we will continue to stand tall together. We will stand. Cause see, just because there are moments where you will be alone, right? You might not stay alone, but you've got to have the courage to stand then as well, too, right? Stand knowing that even though you may be alone in the physical, the 
the scripture says, greater are those that be with us than those that be with them. That's right. That's right. So we've got to know that no matter what the reason, I'm sorry, y'all, my, my, my pup over here playing with his toy. The reason why we can stand, right, is because of who we're standing and what we're standing for. And I ain't talking about how we like to pray to the God in the sky and wait for something to miraculously happen. If that's what you're doing, you're going to keep doing it. Because the God I serve is a God of action. The God that I serve is in every living thing and you and in I. And, it, and the God that I serve has declared that we shall do greater works. See, we around here idolizing Jesus. Ooh, oh, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. And no, really, what we're supposed to be doing is being like right so that's what i would mind us to do because jesus was with the hungry jesus was with the broken jesus was with the prisoners right we got to get on the ground and we got to stay there because that's where change is happening and it's happening together us doing it together yes thank you trishay baraka do you have anything else you want to add before we go I mentioned um, on Wars D. Muhammad, um, who was known as Wallace Muhammad, um, former son of Elijah, I mean, son of Elijah Muhammad, um, that served time in prison. Um, remember, his father went to prison, but he actually didn't go to prison for refusing the draft. He was, he was put on probation. He had violated his probation for refusing to send his children to a public school because he chose to take and have his wife teach them at home. And I'm going to show you how innocent he was. His mama vindicated him because Wallace became, they, they described him as the most profound religious leader in America. Okay? They said, when you hear this man talk, they said his ideas and his concept that he was the same, he was described as the single most profound religious leader in America. Remind, remind you, he was educated at home. So his mama vindicated him. Ain't nothing guilty about his daddy having kept him at home. So when we talk about holding a badge of honor for having gone to prison, we ain't talking about that bull stuff you out there in the street doing, you know, where you, you know, one uh, uh, being a clown, one, loving one brother and killing another. That ain't what we're talking about. That ain't what we're talking about. You're going and acting up in the club and doing those type of things. That ain't nothing you need to be proud of. You need to be shamed about that. But we're talking about good acts like this, where a man took and refused to put his child in a public school, and then when he did let his child out publicly, they took and validated what was going on, on in his home, where when Sister Claire Muhammad took and let that uh, Wallace out, he was celebrated as the most profound religious leader in this country because of his knowledge and his wisdom. That's what we want to go to prison for, to demonstrate this is what South Africa was about. You know, it wasn't about lewdness. It wasn't about some destructiveness. They had a dignified, and us Negroes need to stay away from there trying to show them how to set up a government. You don't know how to do it. You don't know how to do it because you ain't done it at home. You ain't done it at home. Leave them alone in South Africa. Bring your ass on back home. Leave them alone. You mess up their revolution. Before I say Revitia, Bueller, Faithful Outworks is dead. Yes. I had to leave it up there. Because <laughs> I want that to get saturated into, you know, our mind. 
Faith without works is dead. Go ahead, Revetia. That's right. That's right. It's dead. It's not going to show up unless you're <laughs> doing some, some work behind it, unless you're stepping forward with it. And, you know, Jay, I'm reminded today, you know, we are here for a purpose. And that purpose, when you know your purpose and you know we're out here educating people, getting them to know what's going on and how they can get involved. Just yesterday, they posted that, did you hear about the the um, prison? I don't want to call him the guard. What, what's, his, what's his title? Who's the head person? Warden. Um, the warden was... 15 years in prison for eight charges running a rape club in the prison mm. in California. Mm. Running a rape club at the female prison. People, we got work to do. We don't have time <laughs> to, to argue with each other because these are the true scenarios. Mm -hmm. And at, and I'm just going to tell you, we're in this season, this, this holiday season or the holy day season or whatever season you want to call it. Start to think about how you can affect people and get your voice heard by economically channeling your dollars to things that make sense. Reallocate. Know what you're buying. Know whose household you're supporting when you make that purchase. Nine times out of ten, it wasn't yours. Mm. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, you show people how you love them. Mm-hmm. So I'm just encouraging us to show up as love this this these days. Not just the holiday, not just the holy days, every day. Every show day. up as love. Love your neighbors. Love your brothers. Love your sisters. Come together. And by all means, let's heal. That's right. Let's get to healing. Because when we are whole, can nobody come into the camp? Mm -hmm. I love y'all. We love you too, Rabbitia. I just want to say it's our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and protect each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. That should be our, that should be our motto. <laughs> Take that with you for this week. Gonna see you guys next Friday on turning a moment into a movement. Have a great weekend and goodbye. I'll be all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>